So what we're going to talk about tonight, uh, you know that the whole month has been dedicated to this, I think the best way to sort of call it would be, a, you know, we're to, find, to really discover what God is talking about when it comes to abundance. Um, and this is probably, I think, one of the most important concepts that exists in this new season, this apostolic season that we are going into as a church. I think the kingdom has done relatively well. I shouldn't say that. We have scratched the surface on a whole bunch of the important pieces of, um, you know, how to become like Jesus in a whole bunch of areas. And so what I'd like to talk about tonight uh, is to bring to a close this concept of abundance. Um, what I'd like to do with, with some caveats to begin are, it's probably easier if you think about abundance in the area of an abundance of friends, rather than an abundance of money, because trying to break th your mind into the God understanding of abundance financially, a lot of times is just so difficult for us to do as human beings. And so if you're comfortable with thinking about it in the area of money, then do that. If you can feel that your brain is tilting and it's losing its ground and you're just not able to see this as something more than some religious teaching or some fun thing to talk about, um, then try to switch it over into something else. Because a lot of the times it's easy for me to understand how to get more dandelions in my yard. That's, I have no problem understanding how that happens. How to make more zeros appear in my bank account, sometimes we think it's totally a different concept and we can lose the ability for our brain to appreciate this is actually how it works. Everything in the kingdom of God works exactly the same way. It all works by seed and harvest. If you want more friends, be more friendly. If you want more health, do more health things. If you want more money, do money things. If you want more business, get more, do more good business ideas. It's always sowing into an environment from which you are desiring to receive. And everything, and, and, and don't think it's only limited to here. We don't get it on earth, that's okay. The very first lesson that you'll get going through the pearly gates will be a teaching about how seed time and harvest works because heaven works the same way. In fact, the Bible even says the kingdom of God, that's where God lives, not the kingdom of heaven where we're going to live or the kingdom of man where we do live, but the kingdom of God, which is the eternal realm, the realm outside of time, also works by seed time and harvest. So even if God were to ask you to be God one day, the very first lesson that God would give you on the lesson of how to be God, it's gonna be seed time and harvest. Because everything works exactly the same way. The problem with us is that if you've been a Christian for a year, you have heard 52 teachings on how to prosper financially. If you come to church twice a week, you've had 104 teachings on how to prosper financially. And we would still have to say that in our day, even as we're all blessed, and I know, I understand, I know, I know you're all blessed, but 
we need to get an understanding of how to be super blessed. <coughs> how to get to the realms where we can see a problem going on somewhere and be the agent that can solve that problem. Because very few people actually can, are willing to see the problems. And so it really falls to the church, the, the, the kingdom people, to really grab hold of this and say, I get this, but I don't just get it like I could teach it. I get it, and it is a, a something that's manifesting in my life. And the flow of abundance coming to me isn't being rejected. And that's the important reality of understanding this month about abundance. Abundance is always pouring toward you. <coughs> that's how creation, that's how God created earth. You, it's just like my story of a dandelions. The, only, the way to fill up your yard with dandelions is just stop killing them. Come back a year later and your yard will be full of dandelions, right? If you go to the Congo or you go to Nigeria or you go to you know, the Amazon basin, you'll understand as you try to hack your way through mother nature that you just leave mother nature alone for a little while and mother nature will fill up every crevice and crack that is available. I know that uh, Dr. Joanna's husband, Abraham, I don't know if Dr. Abraham, I don't know if you've met him, but they just had a trip out. Can I share this a little bit? Do you mind? It won't be anything private. Um, so they go, anyways, they were up, on, he was telling me this story of being up on this little plateau and he turned around and he looked over in one direction and in that direction, he saw nothing but banana trees. This was just regular land. I don't know if anybody owned it or it was whatever, common land. But you leave Mother Nature alone and Mother Nature just kept growing banana trees as far as the eye could see. And he said, he turned around and looked in the other direction and he saw mango trees as far as his eye could see, ripe with fruit that will just eventually fall to the ground if the monkeys don't eat it. It's going to fall to the ground. And you see, the creation was designed that way. It was designed to produce abundance. You know, there's things, is this bugging you or is it bugging me? Um, you can probably hear me pretty good if I'm just talking, right? Um, if you take a look at it from, like with the way the creation deals with oxygen. How many of you to have somebody's told you that we're running out of oxygen on this planet? Anybody here, watch, it, you're, you know, watch any of those documentaries? Well, I can promise you we are not running out of oxygen. We're never going to run out of oxygen, ever. When we, make, when we use oxygen, do you know what we give back to the world? We give carbon dioxide back to the world. And then when, you know what plants eat? Plants eat carbon dioxide and do you know what they give back to the world? Oxygen. So we have this beautiful symbiotic relationship with creation that no matter how much we use, if every human being decided to go run around the block, is it better? Is it bad what I'm using right now? I hate those handheld things. I don't hate them. I highly dislike them. Oh, then, good. If it keeps fuzzing, let me know. Um, and so it's the same thing that goes on in all of creation. It's just getting our minds bent around the concept of abundance. Because what we are actually doing is we are actually holding abundance away from us. We are the agents that control the abundant flow to our lives. 
And that's going on inside of our own minds. It would not surprise me to find out that we started 16 weeks ago, uh, 12 weeks ago, with all of these teachings to get to the place where God could talk to us openly in a way that we will receive it about this concept of opening the door of abundance that flows down into our lives and the agency that we have as human beings to govern and control that as it flows towards us. And so what I'd like to start by doing is go to my notes because I don't want to forget everything. Uh, let's, let's do some definitions. Abundance would be possessing more than enough in all good things. Okay, so it doesn't just mean money, it doesn't just mean eggs, it doesn't just mean friends, it doesn't just mean water or oxygen or health or strength. It means an abundance in all good things that are, that's flowing towards our lives. The, the, the reality of why God has had such a trouble talking to human beings about this concept that after 4,500 years of interacting with man, there's still a difficulty right now in getting an understanding in a, such a way that it flows towards our lives supernaturally or what would appear to be supernaturally, just like oxygen would flow towards our lives. Yeah. The reason for that is because abundance is a paradox. Gen the Bible tells us that uh, in Proverbs 11, the generous soul will be made rich. He who waters will be watered himself. Okay, in, in Isaiah it says, a generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he will stand. That's talking about somebody that not only is a generous person, but they figure out ways to be generous. They make plans. That word there, devises, is a word that's talking about he makes plans. He figures out how can I be a little bit more generous tomorrow than I am today? And what God has been trying to do, he's trying to get the heart of a human being flipped upside down. Because we all want other people to be generous. Right? Remember in Matthew chapter 7, if you want to figure out what to do, just figure out what you want people to do for you and do it for them. Right? Everybody, that's, it's, it's easy for us to think about that, that it's a good thing to be generous, and I'd really like you to be generous. The issue is, how do I get to the place where my heart has actually turned into a generous heart? And so generosity, what God is talking about and has always been talking about, right, from the very beginning of time, that's what, since he began talking to human beings about this concept of abundance, he talks to us about the paradox, which is, the abundance is achieved in what you release, not in what you keep. It doesn't, and please, I have spent 30 years at this. You're not talking to somebody who, you know, who, who just tried to figure this out, putting this teaching together. Trying to get a human logical brain to figure out that the more you give, the more you get is an, a, a ridiculously difficult thing to do. And just by the nature of trying to learn something that is intuitively upside down. Never mind the fact that we are so tied as human beings. We are so connected to our financial condition. When we try to understand, we understand if I'm one of friends, I be friendly. 
We all, how many say that's how you do that? You want tomatoes? Plant tomato seeds. Anybody got a problem yet? No, we don't have a problem with that. When it comes time to understanding our money, somehow our brain is, struggles. My gra- I mean, I, and I, you know, you're preaching to the choir here because I did this for 20 years before, and I did a lot of the things that, I did everything everybody told me to do, but what wasn't happening all at the same time was I wasn't becoming a generous person. I was becoming an obedient person. I was becoming a dutiful person. I was doing the right things. That was my nature, and your nature too. If I told you this is the right thing to do, 90% of you are going to do it. The key of the matter is, and you'll discover this as we talk about it tonight, that what God has been trying to do is he's trying to get us to do things so that we can understand them. When we get to understand them, we, can, we believe in them. I mean, you probably don't remember the first time you did the, you know, put the tomato seed in the Petri dish in, in Mrs. Smith's science class when you were nine years old. But the very concept that you could turn this little tiny speck of whatever it was into a tomato blew your mind until you saw it happen. They don't remember seeing it happen because you were in grade two. But that is now a fait accompli in your life. There's no debating that that's where tomatoes come from. Now when we try to deal with it in the abundance area, which is a critical area, it causes our minds to stumble. So let me start off by getting you to not stumble in this one area. We are not taking up an offering at the end of this teaching. That's not our objective. My objective is is to try and use the momentum that's been going on in our lives over the last 12 weeks to use that momentum to break us through into this understanding if all we do is get the seed in there where you're able to accept or somehow the Holy Ghost is going to break your brain or your soul through into this understanding so that the seed can go in. At that time, harvest is inevitable as long as you keep holding on to the things that you've gotten. God has always been trying to teach his children about the power of generosity. Always. If we take a look at, uh, well, let's take a look at it this way. Because it is not intuitive people have struggled with understanding it, right? You know how your iPhone came and it didn't have an instruction book because they made everything intuitive? You just figure it out by keep swiping it until you get to the spot that you want, right? They made it intuitive. It made it so that it was easy to understand and obvious this is how it's going to work. When it comes to financial things, it is counterintuitive to our brain that it works like this. And so we struggle. Generosity in every area, can I tell you this unequivocally? Generosity will solve every problem the world has. If we try to think, because we, you know, this whole money thing, you can talk about anything. You know, you can, you can talk about pregnancy and how it even happens, but you can't talk about money, right? People get offended by things in the kingdom, all with, but uh, we got to get away from that. If we do not fix the money thing, the kingdom will never fulfill its destiny. That's why so much of the Bible is devoted to 
having a right relationship with abundance. Now, that doesn't mean being stingy, get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can. It's talking about how do I really get to be on the inside of me an abundant person? Until then, until the whole world understands this, can I tell you something? Abund an understanding of how abundance works is going to fix everything in your family, in your business, in your life. Every place where you experience lack, not enough friends, not enough health, not enough dandelions, not enough money, not enough love in your marriage, not enough, not enough, not enough, everything can be fixed with an understanding of how to get abundance to flow in that particular area. It will permit, as a side benefit, it will permit, that word carefully selected, permit creation to be generous to us and all the shortage and lack will be gone. That's why this concept of generosity has always been such a foundational principle that God has been trying desperately to get into the hearts of men. So let's talk by, let's start by understanding. If, are you all willing to do this journey with me tonight? You're all willing to open up your minds? If you disagree with me, I'm totally good with disagreeing with me, right? You just, you just keep your lack if you want. But you want, you want to get your brain out of arguing with me, at least to consider the things that I'm saying. If you can imagine what a world would be like when everybody experiences abundance, even if they're not yet abundant in their life, if they just think they are, it so will radically change the world around them that it will spread and people will continue, that circle, that ripple effect will just continue to grow and grow and grow. If you, if you gave me the time, I could show you how every single problem the world has today backs up to the concept of money. Every one of them, right? I, I, can I share another thing that Dr. Abraham said to me? He said he was praying about something in the, in, in the medical world and he, you know, Lord, why, 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 why? Help me, help me, help me, help me. And he, the Lord said to him, it is within your power, not your as in Dr. Abraham necessarily, but he says, it is within the power of humanity to solve this problem, wow. right? And it was a real thing that he was seeking the Lord on, like it's a real problem. And so God being talking to us saying, we can solve all of these problems, but we cannot solve them if we do not start by solving this problem. Uh, I know that there's Gary Casigas, if you watch him at all, but he'll say it like this. If you don't solve the money problem, you can't solve any problem. Our goal is not just, okay, how, do, how does a Christian then relate to the Old Testament? I, I have to do this because there's so much error right now in how do we relate to the Old Testament. Um, and it's getting worse. And so let's start off by saying, who wrote the Old Testament? Does anybody know? God. Can you tell me what part of God has become obsolete? How much of what God says you no longer care about? Because it doesn't get old. It doesn't ever pass away. It doesn't ever change. We've got this thing in our culture that says that the Old Testament is passed away, so we don't read it anymore. If God wrote it, I want to read it. Anybody in the room got with me on that? <clears throat> and so the problem came 
way back in Acts chapter 15 when we decided that Christianity was going to become a different religion than the Jewish religion. How many of you know Jesus was a Jew? And so Christianity came out of Judaism. But in the wisdom of the people that were here at this time, on whose shoulders, BTW, we stand. So I'm not criticizing them. I know they were doing the very best they could at the time, but there was an error made as we separated the Jewish religion into the Jewish religion and the Christian religion. Christianity was never designed to be a religion, but I got news for you, neither was Judaism. Judaism was built to be a national cultural constitution. And so when we read the Old Testament, we can read it in such a way as God's instruction to a particular group of people on how to build a culture, a national identity upon pillars that are actually going to make their culture a life-giving culture. The problem being that it was, uh, they, were, they could not actually understand what God was saying because their hearts were, were in not in the way that they, you know, God spoke Mandarin, they spoke English. They couldn't understand what God was saying. So God had instead to give them instructions. He had to give them rules and regulations and told them, do these things. And so when we go to Galatians, Galatians will tell us that the law was created because of transgression, which is an awesome word that pastors should beat us up on. It's not what it's talking about. It's talking about because we were screwing it up so bad, God came along and told us how to do it right. That's what that means. We make it transgressions and sins and these type of things, and they are very religious concepts, but if you put your pant leg on the wrong way around, God would have a law to say, put your right leg in first because that's how you do it better. Because we were doing everything wrong. It wasn't intu- it's not intuitive to follow God, at least not when we're upside down and God's always right way up. We had flipped upside down. Now the whole world was not intuitive to us anymore because we were the ones flipped upside down. God then visited us and he explained things to us in the Old Testament but in pictures and in instructions and in things that we were to do and in our obedience, even though we don't understand it, we just did it. We were more aligned to doing it right than we were if we just did it in a way that seemed right to us. Now in the New Testament, when we can come along in the New Testament and actually understand because we speak the same language as God, a language of faith, a language of hope, a language of love. Now, when we go to the Old Testament and look at the instructions that God gave people, we can now not just do the instruction, which is still good. If God says it's still a good idea, if God said it, it was a good idea a thousand years ago, I got news for you. It is still a good idea today because God does not change. His good ideas are always good ideas. How many of you women say it is still a good idea that we have this thou shalt not commit adultery thing? Right? How many of you, say, how many of you women say that's passed away? How many of you told your husbands, no, 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 that's passed away. You go, you go ahead. Right? Nobody did that. Right? Somehow we want to make sure we keep the thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not commit adultery, but we're going to throw away all the rest of the stuff. 
Instead of saying, no, how many of your wives want your husband to lust on the inside but stay cool on the outside? Nobody wants that either. That's, the, that's how we can understand this, right? In the New Testament, it's not good enough to just not be a bad boy on the outside. You have to not be a bad boy on the inside, which is actually what matters, right? If you, if you want to kill me on the inside, it's just as bad as you killing me on the outside. Isn't that true? And so it's not hard to understand this. What's hard is the rebellion that human beings have against doing what they're told. And that rebellion has produced all of this weirdo stuff that has come into our culture, come into our lives when it comes to relating to things that are of the Old Testament. Not that I want you to do things based on the law. I don't. I don't want you to do the law. I want you to become the law. I say, oh, I don't want to become the law. Do you know that Jesus was the law? Why didn't you take a moment with that? In John chapter 1, please, microphone, make it to the end. In John chapter 1, I have, I have it in my notes here. I'm, I'm flipping around. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, who's he? Was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Who's him? Jesus. Without him, Jesus, nothing was made that was made. In him, Jesus, was life and light, the life that was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness understandeth it not. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's that weird section at the beginning of the Gospel of John. The rest of the Gospels are just historical stories about everything that happened and things Jesus taught. This is a philosophical moment that John has at the beginning of his teachings. Because I can tell you he was concerned about the fact that people were going to throw out the Old Testament. Instead of understanding that the word that became Jesus was the Old Testament. How many of you know the New Testament wasn't written before Jesus was born? So the word had become a human being. How many of you say that in your, it's your decision in life to become more and more like Jesus every day? What that means is you want to become the word of God more and more every day. You don't want to be under the law of it where it is you just do it without the ability to understand it. That's what we don't want. But I do want to do it with the objective of understanding it because I do it. I, and so when I'm doing it, I'm doing it to understand. I'm doing it so that I can finally figure out why did God ask me to do the things that he asked me to do? Not me, I didn't live back then. But if I would have lived back then, what was God telling me to do and why was he telling me to do it? What's the understanding? What's the, what's the metaphor in the middle of the picture? What's the moral of the story? What's the reason that we don't do that? And so God had intended that, the, that using my, my adultery example earlier, he intended that everybody would figure out why it's better to live a life without a frying pan sticking out of the back of your head. Not everybody figured that out. But that's what God wanted them to figure out. 
you understand? And so he wasn't just looking for them to be doing the rules. He was looking for them to, through the doing of the rules, figure out this is actually a better way to live. This is actually the right answer. Even though my hormones are telling me to do it in the exact opposite direction. It is that process now that leads us to an understanding. If I can embrace the Old Testament as metaphor, as instruction, as story, as truth or wisdom or principle, now I'm not rejecting it because it's the Old Testament. Now I'm just, I'm putting a demand upon myself that through my embracing and my obedience to do the thing that I am being, that it's being instructed, I'm being instructed of, <clears throat> I am insisting that I focus on it to get an understanding. If the whole testament says that you plant a tomato seed in order to get a tomato, when I plant the tomato seed, I'm going to hang around to see, does it make a tomato? Right. I'm not just going to plant it and leave because I'm not going to learn anything if I just plant it and leave. I need to put a demand so that I understand in my obedience what did that obedience produce? So if I would come to Jeremy and I, Jeremy's come to me and says, I just don't have enough friends. I would say, I totally understand. I mean, the, what I would say to him was, let's do an experiment. For the next seven days, I want you to be ridiculously kind to everybody that you meet. I want you to buy coffee for everybody in front of you in line and everybody behind you in line. When you're going over the bridge, I want you to just keep 30 or 40 feet between you and the next car in case somebody needs to rush in in front of you. You want to give them some room to do so. But only do it for seven days, but I want you to tabulate what's the result in your life. Now, I got a convert on my hands because he's going to come back to me and he say, I, can, I can't believe it. I got so many friends now, I don't know what to do with them all. I mean, you know that's what would happen, right? All you got to do is lay a honey on the table at the Tim Hortons. You have lots of friends. Say, everybody, uh, drinks for the house at the Tim Hortons. Have, how many of you know you'd have lots of friends, right? Donuts all around, you'd have lots of friends, right? Put, a, put, it on the front, put, a, put a sign on your front lawn, you know? Contents of this house, free to a good home. See how many friends you have. <laughs> Generosity makes friends. And we would learn that it actually works. If we would embrace it to the place where, one, we obey it, and two, we hang around long enough to see the result of it. Then we become converted by it. Just like you were converted by putting a tomato seed in the ground, now you are a, in the tomato seed religion because you really believe that tomato seeds make tomatoes. Does that make sense to everybody? Is it, can you ask yourself at this moment, how did we ever screw this up? Right? This is as simple as it is to fall out of bed. People argue with me all the time about this whole Jewish, Christian Jew thing. They don't argue with me, but they share with me their opposite opinion. But can I tell you something? There was never supposed to be two religions. We know that from the, the story of the prodigal son. Right? Who's the older brother? The Jews. Who's the younger brother? All the rest of us. 
right? God intended that we were all going to come together and have a party at the end as one big, happy family, right? In Luke chapter 15, and Acts chapter 15, kind of everybody went their separate ways because they couldn't understand the very thing I'm trying to explain to you tonight as my watch is beeping my arm, telling me I have five minutes left. Rebellion has shut us off from 60% of the things God communicated to man. We still think God is trying to take from us, not get to us. Okay? I'll really quickly, because most of you have this, but there's tapes on this. Understanding is the key to coming. How do I stop this now? Push the button. It's not stopping. Did you set it up to blow up by chance? I like this hand, and so... In order to go from what Galatians tells us is that the law was designed because of transgression, because we were screwing it up, the law came, God would gave us a manual by which we could figure a few things out. But Galatians tells us that the, the intention of the law was that it was going to come to us through Jesus giving us the ability to now believe that we were going to eventually come to faith, which means we believe in whatever that concept was, okay? So in order to come to the place where we believe in God's principles about abundance in our lives, we have to start by understanding them. And a lot of times the way we learn to understand them is to do them, to be obedient. I could show you the physics of how a, how do you, how a 10 speed works and why you don't fall over driving down the street. It's oftentimes a lot easier just to get on a 10 speed and ride it. And you'll know you don't fall over most of the time right? That's the same principle that we're dealing with. So if we go from understanding something, persevering with it, this is Jesus's primary teaching. When he came to the earth, you've tried it, you get your best that you can understand it. When you understand it, oftentimes through the doing of things, we understand things better. Maybe you can understand them just by reading these scriptures and you get it. That's good. But if you don't, if you're struggling with it, you, 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 you determine that I'm going to start doing these things, but doing them with the intention of understanding it, not doing it with the intention of being obedient or getting a star beside your name, okay? Number two, you persevere with it. Number three, you pay attention and remain focused on it. Number four, you harvest when the time comes to harvest. That harvest is what faith has done as it manifests those principles in your life. Faith is just a machinery, comp, a, a spiritual machinery that takes what you believe and produces it in your life. Understanding the first step then, the Old Testament is truth in instruction, right? Remember that scripture about you when they were in the wilderness and God said to poop outside the camp? He did not have time to teach them about the germs and all of those things that were the reason why he said poop outside the camp. He just said what? Everybody say it with me. Isn't that fun? Doing, doing leads to believing. As long as we do with the intention of believing or we are doing it grudgingly or of necessity. And those of you who know those words in the New Testament, grudgingly and of necessity causes you to not look back and find out what happened because of what you did. You just plunk it in and be done. You just do it. You be nice, but you don't want to be nice right? That's, that's a wrong way of doing it. <clears throat> the three pillars of the Old Testament law, circumcision, the Sabbath, and offerings. So you see that out of those three pillars, circumcision and, and the Sabbath are different things that we can discuss at another time. 
but the principle of offerings, sacrificial offerings, was a foundational principle that governed the Jewish nation. Every time they gathered, gathered together as a nation, there was an offering, there was some kind of an expression of generosity that would be part of that feast. What that was doing was that would teach people from the very youngest of ages, because when they would do these, you know, the Jewish people lived as a nation and they would do things as a nation. These religious practices weren't like what we do when we just, you know, some of us go to church and some of us don't go to church. Some of us do this and some of us do that. The whole nation of Israel for thousands of years practiced these things but the key of it was they were being taught, the expression of them were being taught to the children. And the children were coming up understanding this concept of generosity and generous living. And so this, the, the foundational nature of this culture, this national culture that God was building, was this concept that automatically qualified them to be abundant because not only were they giving, they were giving out of a generational heart of generosity because giving without generosity does not produce the same result as giving with generosity. And we'll see that in a moment, okay? So Jesus is talking about here, offerings were in three kinds of offerings, mainly two kinds of offerings. One was the sin, guilt, uh, you may know them as burnt offerings. They were all focused on restoring my relationship to God. I sinned. And so I needed to restore my relationship, okay? <clears throat> How many of you still need a sin offering in your life? All right, no, you have to think about it. You all need a sin offering in your life. Do you have one? Okay, that's what's important. Because many people say in the New Testament, we don't need a sin offering anymore. No, you need one and you better have one. And if you have one today and decide you don't want it anymore tomorrow, that's a real problem for you, right? Because when you get to heaven, you are going to have to pay for your sins. I'm hoping that you have Jesus's credit card when you get there, because I'm telling you, your credit card does not have a sufficient limit to pay for these things, okay? So those principles that were existed when God said them are still alive today. They did not get abolished. That's what's important. So when we take a look at the other offerings, now what are referred to as the peace offerings, peace offerings are offerings that are, that are a representation of the commitment that we have and the thankfulness we have and the covenant that we have with Almighty God. Those offerings are still the same. That's why when we can look back on them, one, I know I have a sacrifice offering. I know I have a sin offering. I know I have the lamb that was slain once for all. I have that one taken care of. The offering that we have in, as it carries through is the, the other side of the offering. Because how many of you know you have a relationship with God? You have a commitment from him that says he is going to be your partner. He wants to be your partner. He is the provision. He is the source. He is all of these things. So when we are looking at them, even in the New Testament, we can see that all of those pictures of those offerings, which we could go, we're not going to do tonight, but we could go through and look at what was the message in each one of those offerings. 
so that as the, the Old Testament people were giving those offerings, they were learning something. So they were switching some switches in their head that changed their relationship to God or to creation. Now in the New Testament, as we are doing the same thing, we, do, we still do them, but now we do them with an enlightenment. We can see why we are doing those things and how they affect creation around me. God was giving us principles on which our kingdom culture is supposed to be established. So as we now look into the New Testament, as God begins to show us enlightened things about these same principles, what he's still trying to do, he's still trying to build a global culture, a kingdom culture that includes Jew and Gentile, with the same principles that governed his earliest of speakings to mankind to say this is how you produce a uh, life-giving, meaningful, and abundant culture. In the New Testament, you're probably familiar with this and I'm closing, we see it all summarized then in Paul's discussion about this concept of sowing and reaping. The principle of... uh, He who sows sparingly reaps sparingly. He who sows bountifully reaps bountifully. And so there are some things in our lives that we want to sow sparingly. I want to sow hate very sparingly because I don't want any. So I'm going to minimize my crops in the things I don't want. And I'm going to maximize my crops on the things that I do want. So I am going to sow certain things abundantly, and I'm going to sow certain things sparingly, okay? And it tells us then that so let each one give as he purposes in his own heart. So this word giving talks about all the things that you would do out of a... a, a, uh, All the things that you would do that are giving-oriented, He's saying, don't do them because you are coerced. Do them because you want to do them. Because if you are coerced, you're going to despise the coercion. He says, don't do it out of necessity. Don't do it because you feel like somebody has a need. They may have a need. Everybody has a need. Don't respond out of another person's need. Respond out of your desire to be a generous person. Don't do it grudgingly is what it says in the scriptures, which means I'm doing it, but I don't want to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a birthday present, but I don't want to give you a birthday present. Don't do, th- you can see just in that writing, we're still talking about becoming a generous person on the inside. In all of my life, I choose to be generous. I'm going to let all of my giving come out of this thing called a generous heart. The choice of abundance, and then it goes on to say, God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you will what? Always having all sufficiency in all things. This is what abundance is. That I know I will always be sufficient always abounding in all things. You know, you could watch, I guess, 
Go to a party sometime and you know there's 55 people at the party, but you look at the spread and you know there's food for 20. What do you do? Well, there's two things that you could do. One, you don't take anything. As a Christian, you, you have to do that. Sometimes you say, we don't do anything. That's a bad sign right there because you pulled up behind me. <laughs> the other thing that you do is you take extra because you know they're going to run out. Right? Either of those is incorrect. Whether you, say you, you, you do without or whether you're, you're, you take more than you deserve are both wrong. What you need to be understanding is that that's a normal human response to a perception that there's not going to be enough. So when we understand there's not going to be enough, we do one of two things. We learn to live at a lower level or we become super greedy and take more than we deserve. Those are both wrong. But they are the result of a heart that does not think there's enough food for everybody that's here. The response isn't the problem. The perception is the problem. When we look at the world around us and we say, there's not enough for everybody, so I have to take less, or there's not enough for everybody, so I have to hoard more of my share. They're both wrong, but that's not the problem. The problem is we look at a world around us and say, the problem is the pie isn't big enough, and that's not the truth. If we get to be, well, and you just don't say, if, and don't do it as a we. If I get to be, if I can make it across the line of becoming a generous person, abundance will hunt me down. The pie of my life will get bigger. And when the pie of my life and your life and everybody you know and everybody I know and everybody they know, seven times out, we cover everybody in the planet. And that abundance perception, one, is going to set us free, but two, it is going to be the agent by which abundance, the pie of this natural world, gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Amen. Right now, we're in a place where there's about 700 million out of 7 billion that live with the ability to you know, feed their children abundantly every day. That's not even a tenth of the planet. The reason that we operate like that is because we think the planet doesn't grow enough potatoes. But that's not true. Put your hand over your heart and say, Lord, I know your word, your Old Testament and your New Testament word are all true. You've always been trying to get abundance into the hearts of human beings so that you could turn our lives and our world into heaven on earth with the supernatural flow of abundance hitting every person's life. So Holy Spirit, if there's anything inside of me still connected to the lie that says lack and shortage are real. Anything pressurizing me to live below God's intended level or to live greedy and stingy, I want it out. I want 
the seeds of truth in my life. A truth that transforms my perception and transforms my world. I know the future of the kingdom depends on kingdom people entering an understanding and a manifestation of superabundance in their lives so that God could use them to transfer, transform the world around them. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.